Welcome to That Shit Show, a podcast about overcoming trauma. I'm Emma Castle. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the show, Elise Wright. Elise is an Aussie living in New York City, and she is the owner or co-owner of a Hernsheen School of Irish Dance. Welcome, Elise. How's it going? Thanks. Oh, thanks for having me. So Irish dance isn't how you ended up in New York. So can you tell us no. a little bit about how you came to be in New York and how long you've been there for? So I've been in New York for seven and a half years now. Um, my husband and I came over on a two-year visa um, and never left. Um, we had just decided it was time for a change. We really wanted to live in New York and we came over with his job and I'm on a spouse visa, so I'm able to sort of work wherever I want or do whatever I want. Um, previously, um, I was working at Google. Uh, so I worked in the big Chelsea office here in New York City at Google. That was really um, a very interesting experience. But then I left Google and I have been teaching Irish dancing for about, I mean, I've been involved in Irish dancing since I was, well, for about 30 years now. Um, and I was a co-owner in the, or I joined the school and then became a co-owner in the school and then decided to leave Google and pursue the dance school full time. So I've been working full time on the school for a couple of years now. Yeah, right. And so what was the moment where you kind of went, okay, dancing's where it's at. Did you just see it as an amazing business opportunity or were you just loving it so much that you thought, hey, like I can make this work? It was kind of a combination of a bunch of things. My contract at Google was coming to an end and I was trying to figure out if I wanted to stay there or go somewhere else or what my next move was going to be or dancing was sucking up so much of my time at that point that uh, I thought if I worked on it full time, I'd be able to um, sort of make, make more of a go of it. And then thirdly, uh, my husband and I had been talking about starting a family and we thought if I was doing just the dancing school and not working full time, we'd have a bit more flexibility in terms of like childcare, um, and sort of bringing a baby into the world. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. And so, and then that did happen. So you managed yep. to fall pregnant and how, yep. how was that process? You said that you mentioned earlier that you were feeling pretty awful the whole time. I had a completely horrific pregnancy. So, um, I had hyperemesis gravidarum. So right from the very beginning, so I found out I was pregnant at four weeks and by six weeks I was vomiting nonstop. And by nine weeks, I think I had my first hospital visit and then I was in and out of hospital, um, for fluids. I was incredibly dehydrated and weak. Um, and I vomited pretty much nonstop up until about week 17. So that was like three months nonstop of vomiting. I lost almost 10 kilos in the process. Um, and sort of by week 20, I had my appetite back and things were kind of cruising along. And then a little later in my pregnancy, as I was heading towards, towards the third trimester, I found out that I was having problems with my cervix and my cervix was basically completely dilated much earlier than it should have been. That was, yeah, that was around 30 weeks. Um, and then I had low amniotic fluid as well. So again, I was back and forth to the hospital a lot. And then Poppy was born at 34 weeks, six days. Man, so she was early. Wow. Was early. So like you've had this 
just monstrously difficult pregnancy. But yeah. that's not the only thing that happened, right? Like this, this whole thing of your baby arriving earlier, but something else happened, right? Yeah. So three weeks before she was born, my husband decided that he didn't want to make our marriage work anymore um, and left. Wow. So had there been any inkling that maybe things weren't going nope. that well? Cause like you would be so sick. You'd be so consumed by yeah. just your physical state that you wouldn't really be in any kind of mind frame to be like, Oh, I'm just going to make sure my husband's really happy right now. Cause you just be yeah. trying to get through the day. Yeah. I mean, I was basically in survival mode for seven months. Um, it was, it was like, I was so deathly sick that it was all I could do to get up and try and go to work and keep myself running. And yeah, so I, you know, I was just non-functioning. Um, and this completely blindsided me. I had no idea that there were problems or, um, honestly, some of the reasoning that he's given, like he hasn't really given me solid reasoning. Um, the reasoning he has given is, week I feel like I've kind of been a little bit gaslighted when he's tried to tell me his side of the story and I'm like that's not at all what happened I feel like you've rewritten history um you know so yeah wow so you're sick you're really really pregnant your husband's all like I'm out of here this is too hard Uh, he, he left he left um like two weeks after we moved into our new big apartment as well. So I went, I was pregnant and moving house and, and then he left straight after. So I was unpacking boxes of his stuff and he wasn't here. That's terrible. Oh yep. my God. Has he expressed any remorse about his behavior? Does he realize he, what he's done? <laughs> I don't think he'll ever truly understand what the extent of what he did. Like I ended up in hospital. Um, I was in pure crisis. Um, And I don't think he'll ever really know what he did. Well, yeah, that is a real crisis, you know, like, yeah like to be in that situation because that whole sickness and health thing, like you've like, yeah. you've had a lot of sickness and yeah. but it's also just that whole thing of like, this is your first child, you know, that whole unknown world and the anxiety that comes with, yeah. you know, um, what's ahead. You don't know what's ahead. And then of course she arrives early. So like you're, yeah. in you're not well, your baby arrives early. So what happens? Like, do you at least have a really good doctor at the hospital? Did he come to the birth? He was at the birth. Um, and I tell you what, I went back and forth for weeks about, well, I didn't really have many weeks, but for a couple of weeks, I really went back and forth. I had a, sorry, that's a little miss talking to us now. Um, so I had, I had a doula at my birth and she was, an angel sent from heaven. She was truly magical. Um, and I had asked her advice. I'd asked friends for advice on this. And I was actually, so I was in therapy as well. I, I was actually in like a fantastic day program therapy for pre and postpartum women in crisis, which changed my life. Um, and one of the things I was working through with my therapist was, did I want Chris in the room or not? 
when Poppy was being born. Um, and we never actually got to a resolution because she came so early. Um, I, I did let him be in the room when she was born and she had to be whisked off to the NICU straight away because she was so early. So I was stuck in the delivery room and he went with her and sat by her bedside for the entire day. And to his credit, he's never actually missed a day of being with her in four and a half months. He was there every day at the hospital. He comes here to my apartment every day to see her, which is tough. Like it's great that he wants to be so involved, but it also means that he comes into my space every day and then leaves at the end of the day. Yeah. That would be so hard because it's like, you're still trying to recreate everything. Like, cause we should also mention that this is like in the middle of New York city coronavirus lockdown. So yeah. Elise can't actually leave the house right now with his brand baby. And so the only person she's currently really seeing is delivery guys or gals and her ex-husband. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like at this point the universe is playing, excuse me, the universe is playing a really cruel trick on me that the only human I have contact with is Chris. Man. So uh, it sounds like as much as I'm sorry to say, Chris, if you're listening, you're a shitty, shitty ex-husband and husband. It sounds like he's maybe a good dad. It's so, is there some softening there? Because you're like, okay, you are the worst to me, but you're pretty good to our kid. It's, it definitely is both a blessing and a curse. Um, he was the one that really wanted to have a baby. We went back and forth for years about whether we wanted to start a family. And he was the one that he really wanted a baby. He really wanted a daughter in particular. He was thrilled when we found out that she was going to be a girl. Um, he loves being a dad. He loves being with her. Um, and I think this is one of the many, many, many things that I struggle to reconcile is he's going to miss out on so much just by virtue of not being here. You know, I, you can't be a part-time dad, but at the same time he does want what's best for her. Just not what's best for me apparently. Right. So you're a new mom. Like, how is that? Yeah. Like uh, on top of everything else, like you must be exhausted. I feel I look, I'm going to jinx myself by saying these things out loud. I will say I had a really easy delivery, which was truly a blessing. I had a really easy delivery, I had a really easy recovery. I kind of feel like I was owed that after <laughs> the world's worst pregnancy. Um, but she's been, all things considered, she's been pretty easy to this point. She sleeps. She is putting on weight. She's been bottle fed the whole time um, because she was in the NICU and she was so early um, and they had specific requirements. She's just been bottle fed from, from the beginning. Um, she's generally a pretty great baby. So for me, I think getting a whole lot of treatment and starting medication just before she was born really helped me transition into motherhood because a lot of the things I'd been afraid of, I was dealing with, with my therapist and with the help of medication. And 
Yeah. I think out of all of it, the transition to motherhood has actually been the best and easiest part. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like there, there are so many surprises in life, isn't there? Like you know, all this time you're probably building up to being a little bit like, I mean, I remember I was super freaked out about becoming yeah. a mom because I just, yeah. people tell you these things where it's like, you're never going to be able to do anything ever again. This is your life. Yep. On and, and I, yeah. So like, it's like you had so many other things to deal with on top of all of that, that it's almost like the, yeah one really major event like which is becoming a mom has actually almost like snuck in and been pretty good (laughs) yeah yeah truly I mean I I mean I say this as she's like here whimpering now I think she's just really really tired but um yeah I feel really lucky that actually like I really enjoy being a mom um she's just a delight and and I'm, I feel really fortunate, but I also feel like I set myself up for success. Um, because I think I was, I had so much anxiety, um, ahead of it that I got a really great postpartum doula and I, I did all the things I was supposed to do. And then I was going to therapy and all of that. So I feel like everything that went wrong set me up to be more prepared to succeed if that makes sense yeah yeah makes sense yep because sometimes when everything goes to shit like we have to learn to deal with it very quickly (laughs) and you've got good people around you who can teach you the methods and techniques and you know like um because I've I actually always thought that when everything goes to crisis, like you're allowed to just become a total mess and like, you know, just become a temporary alcoholic, you know, you know, in the movies, like there's 20 containers everywhere and you're allowed to do that. But I've actually since learned that, um, that's not a good idea. (laughs) And you don't have to do that. Like when everything goes to hell in a handbasket, you don't, necessarily have to go with it (laughs) yeah yeah you can actually choose to stay above it there's something empowering in like finding a little bit of control and and you know being able to take charge of a situation when everything else is kind of not (laughs) yeah well it kind of sounds to me like you're doing so well like so incredibly well under the circumstances because these are truly extraordinary circumstances that you find yourself in because you're still running your business right so tell me how things have worked out with work because like all of a sudden you had a baby five five weeks before and and now you're in coronavirus lockdown so you run a dance school so how does that work can you talk me through that so I mean even before she came Um, I'd been put on mandatory bed rest because like I wasn't allowed to jump. I shouldn't be doing any exercises. I shouldn't be. And then it was, I shouldn't be walking. Then it was, I should be doing nothing. I should be sitting, um, which was really, really frustrating. So the plan I'd had in place for my maternity leave kind of got enacted faster than we, we had planned. And, and like, I just had to call in what my backup was going to be and kind of get it going straight away. Thankfully, my business partner and I had talked through sort of every scenario and, and we were able to get that moving pretty quickly. Um, but I, I also, like, I wasn't, I didn't want to tell anyone what was going on beyond just saying that, you know, I was on bed rest. I didn't really need to talk about my personal stuff that was going on as well. Um, so we were doing pretty well and I had planned to go back 
this term. So we just started our spring term two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, and I had planned to go back to teach. And now um, I'm spending like 90 hours a week running the dance school from online. So we have um, just shy of 100 students in our school. And we're now doing everything online. So that, yes, we are. So that means um, I have set up on Google Classroom. I've set up on Zoom. We're having to create videos every week and instruction packets and doing live calls and trying to do corrections of a video and people sending videos to us. And yeah, it's, um, it's been challenging. <laughs> Oh, man, and we should probably mention yeah. that you guys are, didn't you win the world championships recently? Oh, no, we, we've won three regional titles, not last year, the previous three years, we won three regional titles. And then we took a team to the world championships this time last year and they placed in one of the competitions. So, um, whereas I would, I we're probably not really a small school, like a medium sized school, but we have some really lovely dancers who work really hard on the competition side of things. So all these poor kids are now stuck at home having to do distance learning. Um, this year's world championships actually got canceled because of coronavirus. We're probably not going to the national championships this year because that's going to get canceled as well. So all of these kids who are so competition driven and us as well, we spend so much of our time focusing on it we're all at a bit of a loss now because yeah the whole year's schedule has kind of been thrown out now yeah right so man so what's the vibe in New York at the moment so I mean I know you mentioned like that no one's really going out but like when you yeah. do about like and and also amongst your friends and amongst your students and everything how's yeah. everyone feeling over there at the moment it it's really mixed. There's a really strange vibe in the city. Like right now I wouldn't be comfortable going out after dark because there's definitely this eerie, no one's around kind of worried about crime sort of feeling. Mm. Um, and, but then there's other people that who are just not taking it seriously. The other thing, particularly where I am on the Upper East side, I am by no means wealthy at all, but there are a lot of really wealthy families up here on the Upper East side. And half the people have disappeared. They've gone to their country homes, their Hamptons homes, their upstate homes, their Rhode Island homes or whatever. Um, so buildings are feeling a lot emptier. Half of my students have disappeared and they're, you know, we're teaching in different locations and everything. Um, the one thing that I think um, is amazing about New York right now at seven o'clock every night, they do the clap for the frontline workers. And that's one of the things about New York City that's incredibly cool. So I get out of my balcony every day at seven o'clock and I cry because it's just so emotional that everyone gets out there and is clapping with their horns and their cowbells. The guy across the street from me has a drum. It's <laughs> so there's this real, like New Yorkers are tough. New Yorkers are really strong. Um, and there's definitely this like, okay, we're all in this together kind of feeling. If you go out um, like the drugstore across the street from me. If you if you run out to pick up anything, they're only letting ten people in at a time, and everyone's really respectful and kind of stands outside on a line with a gap between. I think everyone's starting to understand the seriousness of it now. It definitely didn't feel quite that way even a week or two ago. 
Right. Okay. And so you're saying that New Yorkers are tough. So now after seven years, would you say you're a New Yorker? Like, cause I think after the last, because <laughs> like, you seem really tough to me. Yes. And I think you have to be tough to live in this city because this city will knock you down. But then this city also has pockets of amazingness where it will reward you with something beautiful. But yeah, this city is, city makes you or breaks you truly right. and I think it's it's done its time breaking me so yeah I, like I can yeah so at the end of the day I I own a business here so I guess I've kind of attempted to make it right <laughs> you have made it you have totally made it and then as much as like like you're kind of in the middle of things right now and so yeah do you feel as though like there's light at the end of the tunnel? Do you, I mean, how do you feel like you're kind of, are you even in a tunnel? Like, or are you just kind of taking it day by day at the moment? It's, I feel like I'm in, I feel like I'm in like three or four different crises all at once. Um, there was like the best time of my life becoming a mother, the worst time of my life with the end of my marriage, this really scary time right now with, um, a global pandemic that's hitting my city. Like someone I know's parent died this morning of coronavirus. It's starting to hit closer to home now. Um, that I definitely feel like I'm in some kind of tunnel, but you just have to keep moving. Like this is not the end, right? This is, we're in the middle of it right now. We're walking through the storm. And I just, like, I just keep reminding myself, I feel like everything else has been put on hold. Like all of the problems of dealing with the end of my marriage, I can't acknowledge those right now. And I can't deal with those because I'm, I'm trying to deal with saving my business during a global pandemic and also dealing with a global pandemic and also keeping my baby alive during a global pandemic. So it's, it's sort of knowing when to acknowledge each of the different traumas and when to pack them away to, in order to just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you think that maybe there's a chance that you could potentially bypass the trauma of your marriage ending? Because, you know, you're kind of in what would normally be the hot zone. Like now would be the yeah. time when you'd be like a mess and you're not, you're clearly not a mess. And so maybe because all this other stuff's happening, maybe you're going to get to skip it. Like, or I don't know, like maybe we'll catch up with you eventually. I know that they yeah. do say you have to feel, you have to feel it. You have to sit in it yeah. to um, experience that grief. But I do think that sometimes like you, you, uh, one crisis can be totally eclipsed by another crisis. And, and it's yeah. because of that, you sort of end up sort of almost missing one crisis, <laughs> like because there's a that crisis and that timeline has been kind of overtaken by this other thing. So, um, with I definitely up. feel like the crises fight for my attention sometimes. Like I, I, I don't have the bandwidth today to deal with the global pandemic because right now I have to focus my attention on the dance school. Like I think, I think eventually I'll have to wade through all of the different crises and all of the different trauma that comes with them. But I think it's going to be, yeah, maybe by the time I get to really dedicating some time to dealing with the end of my marriage. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I've spent a lot of time over the last five months 
sitting with that and talking about it with therapists, but everything has kind of been in parallel with Poppy being born and, and it's not just dealing with that one crisis at once. It's learning how to deal with the multiple crises at once in a functional way. Yeah. Uh, a way that just keeps moving. Yeah. I, I mean, especially when you got a baby, you don't have time to stop and cry and feel sorry for yourself because Lord knows she's not going to give you the time to do that. So it's, yeah. it's um, you are in a very unique situation. That's all I can say because I, I don't know anyone else who's found themselves in. I mean, obviously there's things at play that have never happened before, but yeah, certainly even, even the fact that your husband up and left you before your baby was born and your baby was born early and you had this terrible pregnancy. Yeah. And stuff like, so yeah, there's just so many layers, <laughs> so many layers. And, and yet you seem to be coping with it really remarkably well. And so I suppose like to anybody else who's kind of found themselves in this kind of multi multi-strand crisis situation. Yeah. Like what advice would you give them if you could, cause like from where you're sitting, like you're right in the, right in the middle of this right now. So what advice yeah. would you give them? My advice would be ask for help. Don't be afraid to tell people because I mean, and I, there's still, it's still really hard to talk about what happened with Chris because I feel like there's, there's elements of shame to it. There's elements of guilt. There's like, there's all these emotions around it, particularly, um, you know, people who know us both, but don't be afraid to ask for help is like my absolute number one and, and professional help, not just, I mean, get your people around you. My people around me literally saved my life, but professional help as well. Um, and not being afraid to take medication to help these things and talking it through. Um, you know, I see a psychologist, a psychiatrist and a therapist for different, like one for meds, one for talking. Um, and my therapist is, um, like really big on dialectical behavior therapy. So useful coping strategies. And I've learned a lot. Um, just by being open to the process. Right. Well, it's kind of like, it's almost like you're put in this position where you ask for help or you drown. Like, and, that, and that's exactly it. Like, honestly, you have to ask for help because you will drown. Otherwise, I would have drowned if I had not asked for help. And the other thing is when you have a baby, you can't drown. <laughs> you're their primary exactly, carer. Exactly. So it's like, you're, it's not about you anymore, really. Like it's, you, you become, I feel, this is my experience, that your life is secondary to their life. And so it's like you have to absolutely stay afloat purely to keep them afloat. Um, that, that, I mean, that's exactly it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there's definitely something in that to the, uh, my husband leaving me um, because he wasn't, you know, feeling connected anymore or whatever it is. Um, and I'm a changed person now, but I had to be, that's what happens when you become a mom, you change. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everything I do now is in service of keeping my miniature human alive. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and I think sometimes it's that um, there's a symbiosis there that like, you know, like on your worst days when things are really shitty, um, I don't know, they keep you alive too. (laughs) You know, they're not actually actively doing anything, they're not consciously doing anything, but it's just the joy that they bring you. I feel like I was inducted into like a secret society first when I got pregnant and then second once I had the baby um you sort of I feel like you this is just so random and like me thinking out loud on this but I feel like you understand the world a lot better once you have a baby like you 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 join this you know collective of a higher power because I don't know, you're led into this secret society and suddenly things make sense or things make sense in a different way once you make another human. Yeah. Well, I think it definitely changes your perspective, I suppose. Um, changes your perspective on, I suppose, for me, like what's important, like purpose, obviously it gave me a great deal of purpose and, um, but also gave me a great deal of empathy, like for people who lose children, like who lose, yeah. who lose children or, um, like also like custody battles and things like that. So I guess, um, and I guess that's probably like ahead of you. Like, have you guys sorted out the whole custody situation? No, no. And I think, you know, he's made some comments at various times about various things. And, um, I don't think he knows what he wants. And I think that's one of the, I think he's figuring it out as he goes along. Um, and I'm just kind of being taken along for the ride. So I have to figure out what's going to work for me because um, I feel like he's had a lot of power. He's driven this whole entire thing. So I have to figure out how to yeah, do what's best for me. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's – I. Uh... What what can I say? All I can say is that you're you're just doing so well, like under the circumstances. It's like that whole thing of you know uh, being forced, being totally forced to rise to the occasion, yeah. and yeah. you're kind of like the president <laughs> like, you know, when the world's ending. Like, and you actually step up, and you're fucking awesome. So <laughs> I think I think. I think you you actually just totally nailed it. Like you're forced to do these things, so you do it. Like you have no choice. You just you figure out how to do it, right? So when shit happens, you just get through it. Well, yeah, because the alternative is like a very unappealing option, <laughs> especially yeah. when you're in a city where a lot of people are dying. It's like, no, I don't know. Like, I think there's some survival thing that when you're sort of faced with like, like immediate, the immediate presence of death, that yeah. <laughs> not yeah. today, buddy. <laughs> no, I mean, that's exactly it. Like, yeah, I mean, talk about one thing after another, who would have predicted that? we'd be dealing with a global pandemic, but um, it makes for interesting writing in my journal. <laughs> oh man, you're going to have, you're going to be able to teach, teach the class <laughs> on all of these things when this is done. But, um, but for the time being, I'm, I'm aware that it's pretty late there. So I'm going to let you get, get going, <laughs> but thank you so much for your time today. And I just want to say, I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, it's so nice to meet Poppy. Yeah, it was so good to talk to you.
you've been listening to That Shit Show. If you like what you've heard, head to the Facebook page or the website for more information. It's thatshitshowpodcast.com. You'll find show notes and more episodes to download. Thanks so much for joining me.